in January 2010, Jeff Miller, an independent businessman from Illinois, won his third consecutive ultimate couch potato title. This is a real thing. That's a kind of a fuzzy picture, but that is his third consecutive ESPN couch potato award. And this is what happens. These guys, they get together. It's all guys. I don't know how it worked out that way. Maybe there's something there. But these guys, they sit in these Burka loungers for 72 hours was how much it took for Jeff to win. 72 hours, no sleeping, no leaving the chair except for three bathroom breaks scattered throughout the 72 hours and a five-minute stretch every two hours. How many of you think guys think you can do that? Got it nailed, no problem. Yeah, the couch potato award, right? His parents must have been so proud. <laughs> well, this morning we're going to talk about the seven deadly sin, the sin of sloth. And uh, this is a, a, one of those sins that I think we, we think, you know, this really isn't so bad, right? I mean, just being a couch potato, just being lazy, how in the world is that a deadly sin that not only can impact my life, but in, in, impact my soul? But what do we think of when we think of sloth? We usually think of this cute little creature like this, right? That kind of does nothing, that moves real slow, uh, we, we, we actually think it's somewhat adorable. Some people want sloths as pets. I know that was a big trend for a while. We don't think this isn't a deadly sin. Uh, we think maybe of the, the Zootopia cartoon. I don't know if you guys remember this scene here at the DMV, and sorry for any of you who might work at the DMV, uh, but they chose a sloth as the worker because it just seems so slow, right? If you've seen that scene, everything they do is just so slow. How is this a deadly sin, though? Or you think of sloth looks like this. We were running this before service, and someone said, I think these pictures were showing they look like you. And I thought, well, what is that supposed to mean? But that's not me on my couch. Uh, but that's what we think of it as sloth. But this could also be sloth. Or we think of this as sloth, right? Just sitting on the couch, drinking, been there for a while, got an overdue notice there, just totally blowing off his life. So this is what sloth looks like, but so is this. This one busy at work. This is maybe what we think sloth looks like, sitting in your bed, just scrolling on your phone, wasting your life away, but sloth also looks like this, or this, or even this. And we don't think about it that way, but there's so much more to sloth than just being lazy. When you look at the list of the seven deadly sins, the ones, this one, more than any other one, seems like the odd man out. I mean, pride, we see the dangers, right? Pride comes before the fall. We talked about that. Anger, we talked about last week. The effects of that are obvious in our world. Lust, greed, gluttony, envy. The effects of those are certainly more obvious and we think more serious. So what's the big deal about the sin of sloth? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about sloth, but it often uses different words to describe it. Sometimes it might actually use the word sloth, like in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 15. It says, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Now, we might understand sloth as laziness, or sluggishness is another word that's often used in your Bible. But it's more than laziness. Proverbs 6, 6 through 9 says, go to the ant, you sluggard. 
Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? I love the way that the Christian Standard Version says it. It uses the word slacker. Remember Principal Strickland from Back to the Future? Going around calling all people slackers. Proverbs 13, 6, he says, The slacker craves, yet has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. Proverbs 24, 30, I went by the field of a slacker, and by the vineyard of one lacking sense. Thistles had come up everywhere, weeds covered the ground, and the stone wall was ruined. I saw, and I took it to heart. I looked, and I received instruction. For a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber, and your need like a bandit. But the deadly sin of slothfulness isn't just laziness or being a slacker. All those are certainly not good characteristics. The sin of sloth is so much more than that. And even though we often think of sloth as someone sitting in a couch, like some of those pictures, resting all day, wasting their life, slothfulness isn't resting. Resting is a good thing. Jesus rested. We're commanded to rest. Here in America, see, we pride ourselves on working hard. More than most other countries, we work more hours and take less vacations than most parts of the world. We push ourselves to work harder, to do more. And while there are all sorts of other sins that are tied up in that drive, what we call work ethic, the reason sloth has been elevated to a deadly sin isn't because those 4th century monks put this list together, sat around all day playing cards. Sloth is much more sneaky than that. Frederick Buechner said this. He said, sloth is not to be confused with laziness. A slothful man may be a very busy man. He's a man who goes through the motions, who flies on automatic pilot. Like a man with a bad head cold, he has mostly lost his sense of taste and smell. People come and go, but through glazed eyes, he hardly notices them. He's letting things run their course. He's getting through his life. I don't know how many of us have maybe felt that before. We're just getting through. We're missing all the important things around us. We're going to see how that plays into being sloth. Dorothy Sayers says of sloth, It is the sin that believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and remains alive only because there is nothing it would die for. Now that's a pretty big exaggeration maybe of what sloth can look like, but there's a key word in there. Do you see it? Nothing. Just no care. Not for good or bad, just eh indifferent. And while all these things help capture the heart of the sin of sloth, for our purposes today, I want to use the following definition. This is Stephen's definition of sloth. Failure to focus on what really matters. See, you can be busy. You can be doing things. But sloth is failure to focus on what really matters. Or what Aquinas called a lack of appetite for God. When you put it that way, it reminds us of 
Jesus' words in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes when he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. The ones who will have the life that God intended for us will be hungering and thirsting for things, not living a life of sloth. I'd like us to look at two stories from the Bible to help us unpack this sin of sloth. And then, as we've been doing with all of these seven deadly sins, I want us to look at what the remedy for it might be. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be starting in verse 14. This is a parable that Jesus told that you most probably are familiar with if you've spent time in the word before. But, but Jesus is telling this parable. And parable, if you remember, is just... A good phrase for that is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So this isn't a real life situation, but this is something that could happen. But Jesus is telling a story to make a point. So in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14, let's read what he says. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. And he would receive the five talents. Or, then his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who also had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talents in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has, has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, a few things I want us to understand as we look at this parable. First, although Jesus was using the example of talents, he isn't referring to your skills and abilities. Although we're going to see that that is part of the point that's made for us. Now, talents refer to a unit, usually a weight of material that had a monetary value. So while it could have been many things, some translations, yours might call it bags of gold. And we don't know if it was gold or not, but that doesn't really matter. I love how talents are defined in the Boyce commentary. Here's what it says. It says, anything whereby we may glorify God is a talent. It could be our gifts, 
our influence, our money, our knowledge, our health, our strength, our time, our senses, our reason, our intellect, our memory, our affections, our privileges as members of Christ's church, our advantages as possessors of the Bible, all, all are talents. So what's the big deal with this guy, this last servant? It seems like this punishment didn't fit the crime. I mean, what's the big deal with a guy just keeping his master's money safe? Better than blowing on a bad gamble, right, or losing it? Well, yes. But the key to this parable is the, in the way that these people reacted, the way these servants reacted to their master. The first two servants were motivated to please the master. You can hear it in their conversation. Master, you delivered me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. Can you hear their excitement? They were motivated to please the master and did what they could with what they had been given. But listen to how different the third servant's response is. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Do you see the difference? The master responds, you wicked and slothful servant. He calls him wicked because first he lied. The master isn't a hard man. We can see that in the story. He's been extremely generous with his servants. And rewards them. He treats them as his very own, he says. Come and experience all the joy that I have in my life. And on top of that, he wasn't, or on top of that, this servant, he wasn't focused on what really mattered. He was more concerned with his own well-being, about getting in trouble, than the way his master, he wanted to serve him. And while he might not have lost it, like we often see, we see in the parable of the prodigal son, the third servant failed to do what he could with what he was given. And that is in its essence, is the problem with sloth. It squanders the resources that God has entrusted to us. What are you doing with the good things that God has entrusted to you? The talents that he's given you. Your time, your resources, your abilities, your intellect. What are you doing with the good things God has entrusted to you? See, in this example, the servant's actions revealed what he thought about the master, his mindset about God. Think about the actions of someone who deeply loves God and knows him intimately. What do they fill their life with? What do their actions communicate about their views of God? What we, when we believe and we behave in slothful ways, we communicate what we believe about God. Now think about someone who is deeply apathetic, lazy, and slothful, that communicates something about their relationship with God as well and what they believe about him. So how do your actions, what you do, display what you believe about God? The second story is in Luke chapter 10. Now this one might surprise you. How could this be a story about the sin of sloth? Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. 
And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Martha has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now again, this doesn't seem like that big of a deal. After all, Martha is serving in this. She wasn't actively engaged in sinful behavior, and she certainly wasn't being what we would call lazy. She was motivated and moving to see things get done. I can often identify with Martha. She was like many of us, working hard. Not hardly working like her sister. But notice the way that Martha, what Martha's doing, the way it's described. But Martha was distracted with much serving. So you can be doing good things and still be living in spiritual sloth. You might get up early to exercise and are diligent about getting your kids to all their activities and even find time to give back when you can, but you're missing the moments that God has placed you in to do his good. See, if you're not burdened by the needs around you because you're too busy, you may struggle with spiritual sloth. If you spent decades going to Bible studies here at church, focused on learning more and more about God, surely you're not guilty of sloth, right? But if you spent time and time again going to Bible studies, but you aren't willing to volunteer and serve, you may struggle with spiritual sloth. How many moments have you missed to do good because you were too busy doing something else? Mark Clark says this. He says, nothing feeds a sloth more than the appearance of being active, even doing good things. But Martha she had her priorities wrong. She wasn't hungering and thirsting over the good things. This is the way I think I see sloth play out in my life. I thought of all these sins as we were going through this study. This is probably the one I struggle with the least, right? Until I really started to do an assessment. I might actually struggle with this one more than any of the others. But I'm a busy guy. Anybody who knows me and knows my history knows that I've struggled with workaholism my whole life. Always doing something. Always in motion. Yet here I am recognizing the sin of sloth in my own heart. I read a quote this week that I just have to share. I, I could have just written this myself. It's from another preacher, but these words could have been written by me. It says, for me, sloth is a thank you note I meant to write, the phone call I still haven't made, the neighbor I still haven't invited to church. It's the unfinished project and the unfulfilled promise to let's do lunch one of these days. Now, this might not seem like a deadly sin. None of these things seem like life-altering situations, but they're all missed opportunities Missed moments that God has placed before me and before you to do his good work. In these situations, sloth is a sin. Not because it's a sin 
to be too busy or to not finish a project or because I forgot. That stuff happens. Sloth is a sin because I choose to avoid the thing I should have done for what I wanted to do instead. I often avoid the hard thing, the hard conversation, the thing that makes me uncomfortable. And we can justify it with all sorts of Martha-like energy. God, I'm doing this for you. But we're missing out on the moments, on the good stuff that God has for us to do. See, giving into the sin of sloth is failing to focus on what really matters. James 4.17 tells us, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. These things that God has placed before us that we just choose to ignore because we're too busy or we're too distracted or we just don't want to. It leads us to become what Buechner calls a spiritual zombie. Think about this. We just got out of Halloween. We saw zombies walking around. We might be sleeping our life or might not be sleeping our life away, but we're walking around like a zombie, just taking consuming and not giving. It's what the early church fathers often called apathy. See, apathy is a lack of interest, not caring. It's of no concern to us. We say, but of course I care. But do our actions, do they model that? A few years ago, I had a really bad ice skating accident and I ended up breaking my elbow in a few places. And I spent a lot of time in a cast and at my age, the doctor said, you might not bounce back the way that a young person will from this. They'd remove the cast and I could not move it. And the physical therapist said that I might not ever get full movement, which by the way, I have, but I might never get full movement back in my arm. It all depended on how bad I wanted it. See, if I didn't do the therapy, even though it was sometimes very painful, I would never get that movement back. And apathy it leads us to atrophy, right? If we don't move, if we don't practice the things that God has placed before us, doing the good things, being in the moment that God has placed before us, we can atrophy our souls. That apathy can lead to stagnation. That's why I think so many of us are hungering for that next spiritual high, we're just waiting for that because we're not in the moments that God has placed us in because we're too busy doing something else. We all know that if you just sit on the couch watching TV all day, our bodies are going to suffer for it. If we never flex our muscles and stretch our tendons, they will atrophy. And the same is true spiritually. If we live a life of spiritual sloth, consistently neglecting the good things we see in front of us, our relationships will atrophy. And ultimately, so will our relationship with God. You might be struggling with spiritual sloth if you prioritize the game, a show, working on your deck, working out, or sleeping in over spending time with God. And yes, that can mean going to church, although it means so much more than that. So you, are you trying to guilt trip us here? I mean, so if we're tired and we miss a week of, of church, we're somehow struggling with the sin of sloth. Well, not necessarily, but maybe. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, 
Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of God. Paul spent a lot of time in the first half of Revelation warning the churches about this very thing. In Revelation chapter 3, I know your deeds, he said. They are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, now this isn't the word that's there, but sluggard, sloth, not paying attention to what you should be doing, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This is harsh language because this is serious. These were, he was talking here in Revelation to churches that if you read the text, they were doing lots of great things. But he says, you're just hot or cold. You're neither hot nor cold. You're just lukewarm. So what's the remedy for sloth in our lives? Romans chapter 12, verse 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We can fight against sloth with spiritual zeal. Now, zeal, like the word sloth, is one of those words that we don't use a lot today. But it's a biblical word that really helps us to understand how we can combat sloth. J.C. Ryle said this. He said, zeal in Christianity is a burning desire to please God, to do his will, and to advance his glory in the world in every possible way. A burning desire to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It means focusing our time, energy, resources, our talents on the right things. Things that please God. Things that advance his mission. Not our own. And give him glory. Colossians chapter 3, 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. See, life with Jesus has so much more excitement than what you're going to find on Netflix, playing golf, in your promotion, scrolling your feed, fixing up that car, whatever it might be for you. Even good things. If you're missing out on the great things God has placed before you. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Do you remember the movie The Matrix? And this guy, Neo, he finds out that everything around him is actually fake. Everyone's living in a world created by artificial intelligence. Everything around him is determined by some supercomputer to fulfill its own desires. And outside the matrix, there are a few people who have figured this out. And they're living very different lives than the people that are in the matrix. They're underground, often in very rough conditions. And all the while, everyone inside the matrix is living this great utopian life. And Neo is presented with a choice. Remember that red, blue pill scene? He can either stay in the real world 
make his own decisions, experience real life, even with the hardships and struggles, and fight that it's going to be. Or he can go back into the matrix and experience the pleasures and comforts of living the good life. Just going through the motions. It's really a life of sloth. We even see that played out. These characters are just living in tubes, stacked on top of each other, not moving, being fed through tubes and artificial means. Their bodies are just being stored there. And you'd think the choice would be easy, but in this movie you find that not every character is ready to give that up. They don't want real life. They want the comfortable life. Now, I know for all you diehard Matrix fans, you're thinking you just oversimplified an entire trilogy of movies, and I get it. But the point is that so many of us have resigned to just live in the Matrix. We want, as Aquinas said, the easy way out. We just want the life of ease. That doesn't mean we're not going to do things. It doesn't mean that we're not even going to work hard, but we're going to work hard at the wrong things. Because the things that God places before us are often challenging. They're difficult. They might make us uncomfortable. I want to close by giving you some ways, some practical ways that you can grow in zeal. Or that you can combat sloth, depending on how you look at it. The first one is to start your morning off with a simple prayer. Here's the prayer. Lord, help me to focus my time and attention on the things you have for me today. Help me recognize your promptings and be willing to step in what's best for the kingdom of God. Even when I don't want to. But Lord, help me to hunger and thirst for what you want. So start your morning off with a prayer. If you normally watch an episode of a show before bed, maybe open up your Bible instead. Now, if opening up your Bible is avoiding something you know God wants you to do, then you'd be practicing sloth. So be careful. But take those moments that we have all throughout our day that we're filling with other things and fill them with something that can draw us closer to what God has intended for us. It might mean opening your Bible. It might mean praying. It might mean calling somebody in this church or across the street that you know needs to hear a word of encouragement. It might mean taking the time that you might spend golfing or crafting or whatever it might be for you and going to visit somebody or making a donation with that money that you'd spend on something to something that's outside of yourself. It might mean serving at SCC Serve Day For some of us, that's not a big deal. And for many of us, we just want to sleep in on Saturday mornings. I don't really want to get up and go work outside. But maybe that's a divine moment that God has given you. Maybe it's taking an Operation Christmas Child box. Or maybe instead of just taking one this year, it's taking two or three. And taking the time that it might take for you to do something else to fill up that box and to pray for that child. Maybe it's volunteering in an area that is a little out of your comfort zone. Maybe instead of scheduling to do another Bible study, you take that same time and volunteer in our children's ministry. Here's the point. Use your time wisely. Use your time wisely. 
Ephesians chapter 5 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And we just got done with the season that often celebrates a lot of evil. And these seven deadly sins, they are evil. But evil doesn't have to dominate our lives. Do you know what the word evil is backwards? Live. We don't have to be spiritual zombies walking around. We can have real life to really live using the good things that God has entrusted us to focus our lives on the right things. Living a life not in slothful zeal, not slothful in zeal, as Scripture says, but serving the Lord. See, maybe the good thing you know you need to do is to take a step, even this morning, of giving your life to Jesus. Maybe you say, but I don't want to do that. I'm, I don't want to give up what I might have to give up. That might be the sin of sloth growing in your heart. So what's the next thing that God is calling you to do? To get off your couch, to put down the remote, to put down your tools, whatever it might be, and focus on the next thing that God has in front of you. For you, it might be taking a step closer to him by giving your life to him. If that's you, I encourage you this morning, come up. Before you're done here, don't leave here without talking to one of us about what that could look like in your life. But for most of us, we've already made that decision, but yet we still can find ourselves living in sloth. So maybe we need to ask God, God, what is it that you have before me right now? What have I been avoiding? What have I been not been stepping into? He's here. See, God is already at work in our lives and he's asked us to partner with him. He's here moving in this place, inviting us to move with him, to get off of whatever it might be that we're sitting in and move towards him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you We're not satisfied to keep your distance from us, but to step down into our world and to be doing work here, Lord, and that you invite us to be part of it, for us to join in you in the work that you're doing in and among us. And Lord, I ask that for each and every one of our hearts that we would uh, really consider, Lord, am I living in sloth? Our lives might not look like that on the outside. We might be busy doing so many things, but are we focused on the things that you have for us? Are we living for your desires and for your glory and for your purposes? And Lord, where we're not, would you break that in us this week? Would you show us the things that you have for us, Lord, and would we step into them, working alongside you, partnering with you in the ministry that you're doing in this world? May we not be like Martha, but may we sit at your feet, Lord, and follow you no matter where you would take us. We would use the resources, the talents you've given us to further your kingdom for your glory and for your purposes. God, be with us as we live for you and you alone, as we make good use of the days that you've given us. May we live for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church together said...